correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, what's up? Welcome back to Me and Steve RPGs. Yeah, Me and Steve RPGs. Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I know the name of my own show. This is a good way to start it. (laughs) And well, I'm only one Steve tonight because... The other Steve is off fishing with his father, so I hope he has a good time, catches fish, and, um, well, in the case of what they're fishing for, I hope the weather turns crappy so they actually can catch some. They're fishing for steelhead up in Lake Erie. Oh, okay. And they, steelhead do not like bright, sunny, warm fall weather. Okay, that'll do it. So, in any case, to uh, to help me do a podcast this week, I have enlisted the help of the uh, the voice you have heard, that being GM Phil. Hello, Gamer Nation. How is everybody? And Steve, how are you? I am doing pretty good. And uh, just before we get into too much else, our our D20 Network spotlight this week is, of course, the Order 66, of which Phil is one of the hosts. Yes, correct. Um, We haven't had too many episodes lately. Uh, It's been a heck of a year. And, you know, also, I mean, there's a lot of material out there, certainly for us to cover. But it's also very difficult to sometimes find the momentum and find the energy when the the line itself, you know, the Star Wars role-playing game, it's not dead. It's in fact, it's it from what we've heard, the books that Edge Studios reprinted are finally starting to hit hit stores. So that's a good sign. They've started to hit, I think, in the UK. We haven't seen too many of them over on this side yet, but ah, ah. Because I've been on the lookout for a few myself and um uh... still a good sign. Still a good sign. You know, hopefully, maybe uh, Chris and I will be able to get back to recording more regular episodes in the new year. Uh, we certainly have a lot to talk about as far as Star Wars goes. You know, mm. we've had Tales of the Jedi. We've had Andor. Did you guys talk about Bad Batch, Bad Batch much? Uh, I, no, I don't think we did, because Bad Batch was early this year, wasn't it? Might have been. I know Season 2 was originally supposed to be out now, yeah, and that then got they bumped it back. Too. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think we've had, we don't, haven't had much of a chance to talk about Bad Batch, but yeah, there's a lot of Star Wars out there. So, you know, and a lot of, a lot of it to dive and delve into still, as far as like classes and, and topics and, you know, we'll, we'll get back to it. It's just, you know, it's been a weird few years. Well, and, and like you said, you know, it, it is a thing where because of the shakeup with the publishing and, and everything, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a little hard to. Yeah, well, people like I know, you know, I was late coming to it and I've really just kind of started building my collection and now it's threatening to fall over on me. But, (laughs) you know, I also finally got to play it for the first time. Oh, a little over a month ago. It's a hell of a system. Oh, it is. It is. And I like I played Genesis, you know. No, of course. And yes, it's more or less the same system. Yeah. But there's something about playing in the Star Wars universe. that's just too much fun. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. Actually, actually, that's one of the reasons why I'm digging Andor so much is that there I I I thought Solo was a great example of a like Edge of the Empire campaign had like a nice, well-balanced PC party. It had heist. It had hijinks. It had threat drama. Um, But like that's a good one, maybe two, maybe three shot. 
Andor, that is a how you run an Edge of the Empire campaign. Or like mm-hmm. even even like a like because of what it is, it's a, a fledgling rebellion campaign. It is fascinating to see that side of civilian life under the growing empire, mm-hmm. and just like, oh, oh no, you guys are definitely fascists. <laughs> it is not just like Tarkin invader and the emperor. No, it's all the way down the pipeline, baby. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's see, Mike, the campaign I just started running is set. I'm calling it roughly two to three years BBY. I'm thinking okay. it right right about between season two and season three of Rebels is where we're starting, which is, I think, kind of, if you will, almost at the zenith of the Empire's power, probably. Yeah, sweet spot. Real sweet spot. But also there's, and this will tie into our topic for the night. Sure. But there's also, well, there's a decent amount of background canon there. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of actual, I'm not a big EU person. I have just haven't had time to digest it all. If you weren't in there from the beginning, it's a lot to try to digest my gods. But like there's, there's enough there. And I've told my, my players like, look, we're using canon as a loose guideline. Sure. You know, think of canon as this, maybe some of the legends stories that you hear in universe. So it may or may not be exactly that way. Absolutely. One, for me, that takes a little stress off of me going, I have to make things exactly fit. And if I want something somewhere else, then I just put it there and, well, you heard wrong. <laughs> sure, sure. So, yeah, Order 66, great show. I never listen. Other than I don't that. recommend it. <laughs> Do you have any, how did that joke start? Um. Oh, man, it goes back to like, saga edition order 66 like way back in the day where some of their earliest bumpers were like chris knows that story basically it boiled down to you know like like someone's like laughingly oh no one listens to the order 66 podcast and it would you know that it was something along those lines but man we're talking like gods like nine ten years ago at this point that joke started and it just kept snowballing from there from what i understand it really cemented itself when the writer of the Saga Edition version uh, of the Star Wars role-playing game, Rodney Thompson, they got him on uh, on recording at, I think it was at like a Gen Con somewhere, where it's like, oh, yes, this is Rodney Thompson, lead developer of the Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing game, and I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. And, you know, <laughs> and, and they freaked out, and then it just became a thing. And everywhere after, they always try to get like someone attached to either the game line or a celebrity or whatnot to say, I never listened to the order 66 podcast. And it's, it's just been the tagline ever since. Mm-hmm. I just find it amusing. Although I'm sure it's very, very confusing to the unaware. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, there, there definitely have been people who are like, what, what, huh? Huh? So good times. Good times. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, but I, I thought, you know, given, you know, your experience specifically with star Wars, but you've been mm-hmm. gaming for mm-hmm. a long time. Sure. But I wanted to have a conversation about canon, that being okay. canon with one end, not two ends, although two ends could come into play at some point. Another discussion at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and just around using it, ignoring it, dealing with it, dealing with that player or players inevitably that go, well, actually, <laughs> you know, and all that, right? Because sure. I've said it before on the show and, and, you know, the other Steve has said it as well for different settings. Like I 
intentionally avoid in addition to the fact that I'm just not that into high fantasy, but like the classic Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, whatever. As a GM, I, I, I don't want to compete with the lore that the diehard fans have internalized for those settings. Sure, sure. For whatever reason, I do not feel the same way about Star Wars with that. Okay. Steve has said he does feel that way about Star Wars, less so about the D&D settings in particular. Okay. So, you know, not to speak for him, and I and I said I, I can't explain to you why, mm. because I, I think to say that the fan base is just as rabid for Star Wars as it is for Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance or whatever is probably accurate. Yeah, 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 that's a thing. You know, but like you've said, you know, at least on the Order 66 box, you've spent most of your gaming career running games in the Star Wars universe. Yes, absolutely. Probably going back to the game that was the first one I ever played. I started playing with second edition WEG. It was the very first game I ever played. My college roommate went, we're playing Star Wars. We need an extra person. Do you want to do this? Here, we'll give you the Wookiee. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can sit there and make bear noises. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, so the blue book, the blue cover book with Vader's head on it, that was my first copy of any Star Wars role-playing game ever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and it's funny. I've actually had, this has been the largest stretch where I haven't run a Star Wars game. It is clearly something that, you know, and, you know, that honestly could also be some of a motivation as far as, like, why we either, A, haven't done an Order 66 podcast show in so long, or B, getting back to doing them on a more regular basis as a Star Wars game. But honestly, it's it's kind of, you know, not to tangent too badly, but it's been sometimes hard to get games moving of late. And we don't need to go into that. Why it's I'm sure it's been beaten to death on many episodes. But I can I can definitely say that my attitude about canon and very specifically Star Wars canon has evolved as the years have gone on. I used to be a rigid adherent to canon. I used to never want to have players intersect with with the you know the main cast of you know back then we just had the three uh the three movies and in the late 90s and you know, starting in the late 90s and more mid 90s rather like any of the the you know timothy's on stuff and the the extra uh, books the novels that were starting to come out and finally starting to broaden the star wars universe you know, less so much of trying to get into intersected with those things and just trying to do my own thing within those settings and understanding that, okay, there are these play points, but let's play in the New Republic era because that's not scripted out. I don't feel like I have to necessarily adhere to canon or anything like that. Um, I remember that there were certain times when I would, uh, like I remember a certain campaign that I ran that was supposed, was, it was going to be years into the future, but what eventually would be the legacy era where they're, they're, some of the players were playing the descendants of the Skywalkers and the solos. But then when they actually came out with a legacy era, you know, my, that particular game that I wrote that stuff for was long and gone anyway. So it really didn't matter too much. But, you know, it was kind of interesting to see where the official you know, Lucasfilm folks took it. But yeah, as the years have gone on, I've done a lot more uh, and with being more open to messing around with canon, not just Star Wars, but some other things, too, because it's it's fun as much as we want to as much as we might want to, you know, George Lucas, Dave Filoni, Don, uh, John Favreau, they're not going to come kicking down your door and say, no, you're playing the universe wrong. You're you, you got the story wrong. You can't go. You can't go messing with the stuff. It's not going to happen. So really, the only things that are stopping you from, you know, running into the Skywalkers, the Vaders, the 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 Emperors, 
uh, is just, you know, what your table wants to do, really. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, just in, in specific with Star Wars, for me, the thing of it, the galaxy is so vast. Yeah. And, like, I think we've seen with some of the stuff that's come out recently, you can have a neat little story all tied up in this little tiny corner of the galaxy that, I mean, look at, okay, for as much as it probably was no one's favorite series, Book above Boba Fett. Mm. Book of Boba Fett happens on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Now you have Boba Fett. They bring in Cad Bane for the cameo. Yeah, you have Luke come in and whatever. Yeah, I, I I I get it. They were some of the better episodes of the series, but I I have theories about that show, and we don't need to get into all that right now. All right, but like it it was a tight, concise little story in a little corner that really didn't relate much to the grander galaxy. Right. And there's no reason you couldn't do that in a campaign. Dare I say that's the majority of star Wars campaigns that exactly like this, this wonderful story that happens adjacent and sometimes like overlapping that Venn diagram of touching onto the main storyline and then kind of dipping back into its own thing for a while and then maybe brushing up against it again or having these odd little intersection points. But I'd have to guess and gather, like, and certainly in my history, that's predominantly what a lot of gaming groups do. Is that the, the book of Boba Fett idea, you know? Yeah, well, and, like, I wonder, though, like, in, in you know, D&D or whatever, with, like I said, Forgotten Realms, it just feels like everyone wants to go to Waterdeep, and then you have all the characters from all the everything, and Drizzt, and uh, not so much Waterdeep, but you know what I'm saying. And, yeah, like, yeah. it feels like the only parts anyone wants to play are the parts where there's massive, massive backlogs of canon material. And it's like, well, if I don't know what all is a GM, how do I not screw up what my players are expecting? Right. Yeah. And that for me is intimidating. I mean, it, to give you a Waterdeep example, I'm in a game that is currently taking place in Waterdeep. I have never read the Forgotten Realms. I have read nothing of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I've read the basics that are in like when the original Forgotten Realms core rule book came out for three, five, I got it and I read through it and I'm just like, okay, cool. This is so, so this is where all these references come from. But, you know, I basically got the most basic abridged version mixed in with just rule stat blocks for the Forgotten Realms. I couldn't tell you a thing about any of the plot lines that have occurred or will occur or did occur in the Forgotten Realms. I might be able to remember some of the stuff that happens in like the way, the way old gold box computer games like Pool of Radiance and the Curse of the Azure Bonds, because I played those. But from what I understand, those were kind of just like their own thing. And then the novelizations of those were something else entirely different. It's like you got like that duality of, well, this is the official, but over here is what you're playing. It's it's your own thing. And the the, the way it plays out is the way it plays out. Yeah. Well, Forgotten Realms is unique, too, in that Forgotten Realms actually dates back to Ed Greenwood started writing in the Forgotten Realms, I believe, in the 60s. Oh, wow. You know, that was when he originally started writing stories and then kind of went, oh, well, these are all happening in the same, you know, and then eventually it got bigger and bigger. He did it, and then he, you know, sold it to TSR and, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, and like, I guess, you know, for me, like I said, my approach has always been, man, that stuff's cool, but I don't want to hang out with the famous people. I want to do my own thing. Yeah, I want to make my own impact. Yeah. And so, like, but I guess, you know, for me, it's it's a, kind of been a thing where, again, because I got into gaming late. I was in my late, I was a freshman in college when I really discovered role-playing games. Sure. 
So I didn't have, you know, I wasn't, didn't start playing in middle school. Like a lot of people did, you know, I didn't have the background. Like I was aware of Tolkien, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and so like, you know, I have these friends in, in college that are, you know, talking about Dragonlance this and Raceland, And I'm like, well, I don't know all this stuff. <laughs> and at a certain point, at that point, I was thinking more as a player. And so then I actually would intentionally avoid reading the novels or whatever, because, well, if I'm playing, my character won't know this stuff. So I won't. And then it's easy for me to separate it. Right. But, you know, as I've, I've gotten older and whatever, I, I respect that people, you know, love these things. And I catch myself doing it at times with various things. Well, no, in, in this, but I know a lot of people, and maybe this is more in a way, uh, something to say to, to people as we're, you know, being players in games is, you know, don't worry so much about what the book said. If it feels right in your story, then just freaking roll with it. It is absolutely your game. Um, and like I said, I used to be a rigid adherent to canon, but after, you know, you go back to the trope of like the, the Marvel, what if, and DC comics came out with Elseworlds where things were different. And then even star Wars had its own, they had this old, you know, dark horse comics did infinities where it, it basically was the, what if you know, like, what if this changed? What if that changed? What if Leia went to Dagobah and Luke didn't go, you know, that kind of thing. It's all kinds of things that were along those lines. And it really opened up a realm of possibilities with the idea of there being a multiverse out there. And the idea that, you know, even though, oh, it's not, you know, there's no evidence in Star Wars that there exists the thing of the multiverse. But the thing is, is that it's it's your game. There's nothing preventing you from assuming the roles of of Luke Skywalker, of Rey, of, of, of Finn and Han and all those people. Or not even being those characters, having those characters just not exist and your PCs, your specific character is thrust into the situation of, hey, there's this droid on Tatooine who's got the plans to this Death Star and they need to get it to the Rebel Alliance so that they can take out the Death Star. And, you know, how do you get it there? How do you stop the walkers on on Hoth, how do you confront Vader and Palpatine with your burgeoning Jedi Knight? These are all valid, absolutely valid stories and absolutely valid situations. It can be fun to put into and see what you do, or maybe that even doesn't happen. Maybe they complete the second Death Star and it starts to, you know, the Emperor starts taking over the galaxy even more, or blows up a couple planets and it has the exact opposite effect that he thought it would. It drove more planets into open rebellion than like cowing under the the heel of the empire and 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 being you know crushed in its iron grip maybe there's more open warfare in the galaxy because the second death star is out there you know yeah it's fun to play about that stuff oh yeah it's it's it, it, it and i guess you know maybe that brings into to another you know we've talked a little bit about kind of those adjacent storylines if you will where you're touching into it or maybe you know you do something where Maybe you, um, you know, you play out part of like something similar to the Rogue One story, but your players sure. have to go somewhere else and steal the plans for the Death Star instead of sure. Scarif or, you know, or they're involved in, you know, getting the, the, uh, the defected pilot from Rogue One in contact with, you know, anything like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also, and I've, and I've heard you and Phil talk about this, or yeah, you and Phil, you and Chris, you are Phil, not Chris yeah. talk about, you know, what, well, most people call alt U games or alternate universe. And I think to me, the interesting way to do those, and I'd be interested here is to pick some point where 
this one thing happens differently and then just extrapolate on that divergence. Yes. Yes. You know, like for me, I've been thinking about this for a while and I someday would like to play with this, but what happens if Bail Organa wins the chancellorship instead of Chief Palpatine? Mm-hmm. How, you know, does Palps then openly join the separatists? But then what does he do with this clone army that he secretly built that he really needs the money of the the Republic to go collect? Sure. But, you know, like, I mean, but that's that's half the fun then is is playing with that. Well, what if and there really is no blueprint? Yeah, you have to pick a watershed moment and kind of it 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 becomes an exercise on even on its own. You guys, you, you kind of like go down to say, OK, at what point am I starting at? when the event changes and how far am I bringing it to like the Bail Organa thing that you're talking about? Okay, cool. Are you playing the time of, of, of episode one and okay. Now that child Palpatine's lost and now that he's still just a Senator, what happens on Naboo? Does he just, does he become open in his, in his, is it, does he say like, well, screw this, this failed. I might as well just go open now and just be a Sith Lord. Um, although that really doesn't make much sense because there's 10,000 Jedi and there's just two Sith. Well, two and a half, depending on if you pay attention to certain comment, uh, certain uh, cartoons. Um, <laughs> but like, or do you take it 10 years later where the clone army's ready? And, you know, is Palpatine still a senator? Has he amassed some mockatum of power? Has he continued to push the corrupt Senate to that breaking point? Is it now less of separatists versus the Republic and much more of a, a true Republic civil war mm-hmm. where you've got like, you know, the, where the Senate is, is instead of a droid army, the Senate now had the, uh, the separatists now have a clone army. Mm-hmm. The Republic. Yeah. Does the Senate bog down in, in further debate and gridlock because bail is committed to discourse? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I... at what point or, or can, Palpatine steer that into another vote of no confidence in in Bail Organa's leadership. Yeah. Where does all that go? Yeah, I mean, yeah, in this case, you know, we are talking specifically Star Wars, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think it it still applies to any fandom, if you will. You know, if you want to play, I mean, heck, there's a Terminator game out now. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm not a huge fan of the franchise. I mean, I've seen the movies, but you know, like I, I couldn't tell you all the stuff that a lot of people can. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure there are points in that where you could go, hey, well, what if this happened and this didn't? And off we go here. Yeah. But I guess part of what we're, we're talking about, and I think the trepidation a lot of people feel is, and this kind of ties into one of our, our Patreon supporter questions, is how do you approach canon when you're playing with either people who you know know a whole lot of it or people who don't know any of it? Mm. Because I think, at least from my perspective, if I'm playing with people that I know know a whole lot of it, I know they're expecting to see certain things, and if I don't get it right, they're going to know. Mm-hmm. And at the same point, from again, from my perspective, if I'm playing with people who don't have that background, are they going to appreciate it if I do hint at it mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. use it? You know what I mean? And, sure. and so in that case, am I putting pressure on myself? as a GM to do things that my players just aren't going to notice. It's a good question. It's a very good <laughs> question. Uh, you know, kind of to start with, let's, let's talk about the, the folks who are hip deep in Canon. 
they they know it they know it, it to you know backwards and forwards and they're expecting certain things and they're expecting easter eggs really it's kind of what it is a real good example of that is like trying to watch a star wars uh, show with my fiance she has she's seen the movies and she's watched a lot of the live action stuff and we're trying to get through clone wars uh but that's a lot oh my god mm-hmm. um trying to get through clone wars trying to get through rebels but you know, there are certain things where she's enjoying the story. She's enjoying it and to go and right along with it and having a good time and, and watching it. Meanwhile, every little Easter egg that they drop in the show, every mention of a planet, every mention of a person or a particular droid model or something, some reference that's in there. And I'm just freaking out in this corner. Um, you know, we're we're enjoying the show on two separate levels. Uh, we're both enjoying the storyline. We're both having a good time. We're both watching it. It just is, is that the people who are more focused on and more familiar with the canon, they appreciate the little nods and the little uh, drops more. So as a GM, it can be helpful to satiate and satisfy those people by putting in the little, little, the little uh, comments, the little nods, the kind of like awareness of, oh man, we're here on this planet at the same time as that's going on. Oh man, you know, and and they can kind of see like, oh, okay, we can expect, like maybe maybe for some reason they they have to go to Endor, and the while the Death Stars are under construction, and it's before the rebels even arrive to uh to try to t- take it out or or infiltrate the planet, uh, but maybe they like one of the, one of the things that I uh one of the things that I uh, uh wrote as kind of a story beat for one of the the when we did the when uh, Fantasy Flight Games did um allies and adversaries and gears and gadgets and starships and speeders i can't remember which book i wrote it for but there was a little story hook where like you find a ship and the ship has a hidden treasure map and the hidden treasure map takes you to this forest moon in the endor system and you have to go in there and sneak in down to the planet and infiltrate and find this treasure ship while the empire is building a second death star in orbit and little little do the the, the folks actually know you know at the time so it's just not that that's a neat little intersection of canon, you mm-hmm. know, but then we got the people who are like my fiance who have no idea what's going on in Star Wars outside of like what they've seen in the movies. They don't know. They didn't read Wikipedia and, and you know, all the compilation comics and and they have no idea who Doc Afra is. They have no idea who Black Kyrgyzstan is, any of that stuff. So. And I'm I'm feeling that way in the Forgotten Realms game that I'm in. Like, okay, cool. I'm in Waterdeep. I know Waterdeep's got a lot of history in Forgotten Realms. Couldn't tell you a thing about it. And so something happens, and it really makes you feel like just a Joe Average person in the series. Because if you're just this Joe Average citizen in the galaxy, you have no idea the importance. You you probably don't have any idea of the importance of kyber crystals, or or you just know that the Inquisitors are bad guys, and that. The Jedi were these guys who, like, you know, supposedly tried to do good things, but ultimately just get wiped out. So, okay, you know, you you, you've got that you've got that plausible deniability that can sometimes make it kind of fun to discover in game because you're you're both getting the surprise indoctrination while you're playing as a player and as a character. Your character has to react to, oh shoot, you mean Palpatine's evil? He's not just like. A, a typical political tyrant no he's legit evil incarnate <laughs> whoa <laughs> you know oh my god you are moving things with your mind what the heck man you know stuff like that you know you get you get to see how bad the hut cartels are you get to see the 
you know, the actual destructive social, the, 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 the social implications of what the empire is actually doing. Mm-hmm. Like they are legit sending the people to jail for no reason. They are sending people to prison because they, they looked, they, they looked at them wrong or they looked at them funny. As we literally just seen, not to spoil anything. literally just saw uh, on Andor. Just, wow. Wow. They really are that bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and watching that, watching that evolve on these, these Star Wars shows as an outsider who doesn't know, like, who doesn't have 40 years of history under their belts and is intimately familiar with not only what could be happening, but like what has happened in the expanded universe and trying to see those nuggets that they're bringing into the shows now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, sometimes being the person who knows nothing about canon is a lot of fun. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. It, it just, I think, and maybe, you know, that's kind of the core of it, right? Is as a GM, yeah. if you've got both people, how do you balance it? Because one, and, and granted, you also, like I said, you have those, well, actually people who, I'm sorry, that's just yeah, not being yeah. a good player, but. So the, the problem with the, the, the quote unquote problem with the well, actually people is the whole, you got a couple options there. You can, first of all, you can try to tap into that. Mm-hmm. Same thing about the people who um, know a heck of a lot about the the game itself, the rules lawyers. You can use them as resources and have them double check you on on certain things or more importantly, have them be the in-game, in-universe guide to the people who aren't as familiar with the canon. You know, give them the opportunity to flex their knowledge and, you know, as characters try to, like, convey to others, oh, here's what's actually going on here and here's why that's that's bad or that's good or whatnot. But I think depending on the players and depending on how they handle canon, that's really going to steer your session zero and really kind of set help set the boundaries of like what pe- people's expectations are. Because mm-hmm. I think if some people go into a game knowing it in the expectation that, okay, this is not a canon game, be warned. This is, you're playing a Star Wars video game. You're playing, uh, you, you, you're, you're, we are in multiversal fan fiction territory. We are having fun and there are no rules here. There, any, Anything and everything is on the table. Some people will like that. Some people won't. And if they don't like it, then it's a matter of working with them. If you really want to play with them and if you really want to have them in your game, to try to figure out, okay, okay where's the middle ground here? Because I don't want to run a story that's just adjacent to and takes place in the same universe as the movies. I want something my own. I want something different. And I want you folks to feel like you have an impact in the galaxy and you're not just along for the ride. If you want to do that, you know, Disney Plus is right over there. You can just watch it all, you know? Mm-hmm. So canon is important for like the development of a game and the development of a storyline and, 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 and then really the development of the IP itself. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a role-playing game, canon is a great framework. It is a great idea mine. And it is a great place to start from but i also think it's a great place to break from (laughs) i've gotten much more interested in my gaming of late of doing things that are inspired by you know Mm -hmm. and and to to kind of tangent a little bit here i think that's one of the things that maybe i really appreciate about the eberron setting sure or D because now and this is also a little different in that we're talking about a setting that was specifically developed as a role-playing game setting yes you know it was done for a hey 
let's have a contest to see what setting people will do for us. And that's where it came from. But I really like the idea that to this point, and according to Mr. Baker, this is supposedly something that Wizards has also agreed to to keep doing, is that they are not advancing the timeline. It's, you know, the, the everything we have is from, what is it, 103? Something or like what, that. Yeah. Whatever, you know, the, the time that we're at. I forget what the numbers are. but 103, 106, somewhere around there. You know, that is the context of the world. You can do whatever you want before, after, but this is the state that the world is in right now. Here's a bunch of stuff. Go do your thing. They will never say what happened in the Mornlands, sire. They will never say, reveal who the Lord of Blades is. They will never go into the demon wastes, you know, as far as like defining stuff. Question for you. Yes. Do you think there is cross inspiration between Grievous and the Lord of Blades? Uh, you mean in the sense that um, one came from the other? Uh, well, Gre- cross inspiration. General Grievous, Lord of Blades, you know, pseudo mechanical, multi armed, mythical. I mean, it's, it's possible. I don't, I just, just, just curious. Eh, I'm, I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. Okay. I'm just curious, but like you know that, so to speak. Yes, you have canon in Eberron. Sure, but even and, and this is another thing I love about anytime Keith Baker talks about that. It's like, well, in my Eberron, and mm-hmm. he says that not as in, well, it's my Eberron and not what I say goes. He's saying that in a context of when I run a game, this is how I do it. Yeah, but he's very, very open to say, look, if it's your game, do it your way. But also, and this is, again, and maybe this is why, for as much as I'm not a D&D, I love the Eberron setting, right? And it's because so much of it was done with the, let's assume that this is a fact. What does that mean coming off of that? Sure, sure. And I guess, you know, that's kind of going to what we were talking about with the alternate universe timelines. Basically, it's the same thing. It's just that they did it with the whole world. Yeah, legit, legit they change one thing and it's, it's something else entirely. I mean, you get, you get, you get kind of the same thing when you start talking about people who are very familiar with the Marvel comics and then people, and then what they did for the cinematic universe mm-hmm. there, the cinematic universe is definitely inspired by the comics, but there are marked changes, you know, mm-hmm. and they've come to explain that in universe. It's like, it's a completely different, it's an alternate you. It's a, it's a, it's a metaverse. It's a, not a metaverse, a multiverse. Yeah. Uh, this actually happened. In this parallel universe over here, you absolutely can do the same thing in any setting you want. Make mm-hmm. the change. Have your own Star Wars cinematic universe, although that makes less sense, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, but I think, and you touched on it, I think to me the, the, the key point here, and you mentioned it, is being clear about how you want to approach it when you do session zero and when you set up your game. Talk, exactly. Talk to your players and figure out where you're going. Or at the very least, that they're on board for what you want to do. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah. the guy who knows all the canon is going to be fighting you the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then that just makes your feeling either just annoyed or, in some cases, intimidated. Because, right, well, this guy knows so much more than I am. Like, look, I'll be honest. I had a situation in the last few years. I really wanted to play Star Wars. I was trying to convince this guy I was gaming with at the time to run Star Wars, mm-hmm. even to the point I was willing to play the 5e hack of it because I wanted <laughs> to play Star Wars. <laughs> okay. And I could not convince him to do it. I'm like, you'll run Curse of Strahd. You're a massive Star Wars junkie. 
why won't you just run some Star Wars? Why, why, why wouldn't he? I don't know. Oh, okay. I ended up, we ended up kind of drifting away from just because of play styles and sure, sure, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, well, COVID had some things to do with that group kind of breaking up too. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, and like I said, I don't know because of the, the group of us that was getting together at that time, he was far and away the most rabid Star Wars fan and he was comfortable oh. running games. So it was right. like, to me, it seems like a natural fit. But yeah, like you said, I think, you know, yeah, you, you got to sit down and, you know, like for my players, I told them, look, I said, I've seen the movies. I've watched most of the animated stuff. I haven't read a lot of the books. I said, so we're going with the idea that canon is kind of a loose guideline, mm. a framework to kind of just sort of be there and we'll use what we need. But if something doesn't quite fit, then we'll make it our own thing. Sure. And everyone was like, mm, okay, fine. We just want to play Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's another question. This again, going to one of my Patreon's questions. Do you think the pressure for canon is worse from your players or on yourself? Oh, uh, well, that's going to seriously depend on the person. Me with Star Wars, at times, definitely myself. At times, especially any time before, I would say 2012, 2013. I was very hard on myself with sticking with canon. Um, I don't think there was really anybody in my gaming group who was who was as big a star wars nut as i am um well with one exception with one exception there was another guy who was who was a fanatic as well but he was much more laid back as far as it goes and if we started to play around with with play fast and loose with canon he was a little more open to it i think than i would have been at the time Mm -hmm. but as things have gone on as i got inspired by chris and his alternate universe game you know i ran my own alternate universe game so i got more open to the idea of being okay with playing with canon, you know, being more open to changing things around and not sticking with what the books have done or what the movies had established or what the cartoon series was was locking down. So I really guess I guess it kind of, it depends on the person. It really does. Because I know GMs who are like, don't give two craps about canon, but I know players who are just the same way. And likewise, I know players who like, were like your friend and they're just like, no, canon is, canon is religion. Canon is law. You know, you don't mess with it. Yeah, I think I probably, for me, I'm probably put more pressure on myself, but that's also just my personality in general. Yeah, that's really what it boils down to. It's your personality type. But I guess, and this was uh, another point brought up by one of our listeners. He said, you know, sometimes he'll just literally, they'll be playing. He'll tell one of his players to look up a Wikipedia on something and treat it as if, especially if they get a good role on some sort of lore check. Sure. Okay, you found something on the Holonet, you know. And I mean, hey, that's one way to do it. Like you said, that's in a way using your player's knowledge in game. And and most players probably get a bang out of that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That that and that was you know in in relation to someone who knows the rules. That's one of GM Chris's big uh, uh, big pieces of advice is if you have someone at your table who is the rules lawyer who knows the rules, use them, use that resource and. You you call on them a couple times for uh for for rules clarifications, not judgments, clarifications. You've got them. You've got them. They 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 are happy to flex that muscle and they feel that the more often than not, they will feel honored and like it'll be a massive esteem boost that they're able to do this one, that they're able to provide this service to the table. Sometimes it goes to their heads, but for the most part, it it can really be a huge boon. 
for more a huge boon if you know how to tap into that if you can tap into that correctly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well that's I I do that because I through my attention span slash schedule routinely am like I've got a good solid grasp on the framework of things, but every time I try to drill into the details, mm. I see something shiny. Yeah, and away I go chasing the shiny thing. It's really hard to keep some of them rules straight. Well, and I am, I've said it before, I am a spirit of the rules person as opposed to a letter of the rules person. It's just the way I like to operate. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, look, if someone is a letter of the rules person, good for them. For me, that becomes much more board game than role playing game. Legit. And for me, that activates a different part of my brain. Mm hmm. Mm. You know, which is where, like, I honestly, I prefer playing much more theater of the mind. You put a grid and minis in front of me, and I start doing math. Yeah. That's just yeah. the way my brain works. Fortunately, the, the narrative dice system, it's less of that because it's it's not, you know, square for square. It is it is zones. It is it is like rough, like kind of medium range away, kind of short range, kind of long range. It's a lot more more fluid as far as distances go. And even like medium range outside might be completely different than medium range inside. You know, mm-hmm. it's what the situation yeah. dictates. So there's less, it's still, it's still fairly tactical and it's, but it's less strategic, you know, it's less chess game where you're trying to figure out like, okay, if I move there and then move there and then move there for me, it's much more of a visual aid, which I need because I'm a very visual person. So that's why mm-hmm. I like to use maps and minis and stuff like that. Cause I want, I want people I want to be able to convey what I see in my head to what other people so that we're all kind of on the same page or at least in the same book, you know? Mm-hmm. So question off of that, okay. I'll, I'll even tie this in and make it tie back to Canon. Watch this. Do you, have you ever encountered players who, when you put a map down in front of them, view what they see on that map too much as Canon and then it stifles their creativity to go, Hey, is there a, a, a whatever, in the area absolutely absolutely um there are several maps that i use where and i'm i i will routinely say you know this is kind of like just kind of vague as to what this is you know this is a good outline this is a good map this gives you a general idea oh well, i want to pick up one of these piles that, you know i want to use the force and pick up one of these missiles and fly it over there because you know it's a starship hangar and the artwork has like a, a trolley full of missiles on it and i'm like oh that's not there like but no it's right there Hey, Phil, is this control panel right here? Is that there? You know, they, they will routinely reference the map. Like, oh, cool. There's this room full of crystals. What is, what's in these crystal rooms? Like, no, guys, there's no crystals there. But they're right here on the map. Like, guys, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the one problem with using pre-drawn, pre-generated maps is they're handy as hell because they're right there. But like, oh, Phil, is this actually a medical suite? No, it's not a medical suite. What is it? Uh, storage. Well, that's lame. Shut up. <laughs> um, Was there medical stuff in the storage? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, that's when I start leaning over to like the pile of story points going, I don't know. Is it a pile? Is this a storage <laughs> filled with medical supplies? You know. Well, but I, again, that's I, the more I get into it, the more I've, I've come to love the narrative dice and that whole system because it, it, I don't know how to say it other than it just, it makes the table work together so much more than a traditional system. Mm, mm. You know what I mean? In, in the context of 
not that it does anything to enforce teamwork, but that because it is so narrative, one player comes up with something and then somebody and also is off of that where it's yeah. inspired. Yeah. And it just like, if you can get the players to give that first initial bit of input, they all start feeding off each other. And, you know, and like, that's my star Wars game. I've got two people. It's their first experience with narrative dice. And I'm going, Oh geez, you know, I'm not all that good with it, but they're having a blast. You know, they both game for years. In fact, one sure. of them, is the person who invited me to the Star Wars game all those years ago. Right. But yeah, to just kind of watch them and to, to kind of watch them unlock it a little bit in the, oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so neat. And I don't, how do I want to say it? the other thing? And this really coming from listening to the backlog you know, of your podcast and you guys talking to all the devs is how much those devs love gaming and love the star Wars universe and all the little Easter eggs and, and stuff that they put into it. You know, like when we talked with Jay little geez, a year ago, mm -hmm. the pip distribution on the star war on the force die is directly related to a Yoda quote. Yep. And it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, just, just <laughs> this, these little things. And it's like these, you know, and, and maybe that's why it doesn't, despite it being this massive game, it doesn't feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally with it. Oh man. But anyway, okay. Well here, here, here's, <laughs> do you make nerd lore an in-game ability to represent their knowledge or do you just let them be nerdy? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if there's anything that's really ultra, if, it, if it's not really ultra specific, it is something that could generally be, known by the right people in the right places just as common knowledge i wouldn't make them necessarily roll for anything like that but if it's a very specific niche chunk of information in in that particular setting i might make them make a roll for it like phil do i know that do i know the significance of the endor system or do i know the significance of the scarif system or or that uh that um Kyber crystals are the crystals that are used in Jedi lightsabers. I might make them make rolls for that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of like some other thing of that. It could be, that's a good example, but you know, if it's, if it's common enough knowledge, I, I just let it ride and let them say, okay, that's fine. But if it's, if it's something that's specific or, or could, you know, knowing that could change massively change decisions as to what the PCs do, I might make them roll for it. Fair. I actually, this just reminded me of something I did a long time ago in a game. Oh. And this was in my Rifts game back in college. And I know you're at least moderately familiar with Rifts. Oh, no, I'm very familiar with Rifts. Okay. Well, I had a character, the player was playing in my game, that was called the Twinkie Avenger. All right. The Twinkie Avenger was a crazy. Sure. So as we're creating this this character, uh, having just met the player at that point, mm -hmm. um, turns out this guy was, well, he could create full-blown Rifts characters in 45 minutes while talking with you. Okay. So it gives you an idea of the the, the processing power of this individual. <laughs> You've got a lot of uh, mental bandwidth and can multitask. Okay. So we're, we're he's like, oh, I'm going to make it crazy. And so we get to the table where you roll about, you know, how they discover their powers. He gets power by association. Okay. So move on to the table of what do you associate your powers with? Twinkies. Well, he rolls asparagus dipped in vanilla yogurt. Mm. And we're both kind of like, well, that's yeah. just weird and gross. And I look at him and I go, we could just give you Twinkies. He goes, 
is that really on the table? I went, yeah. He goes, okay. And he just took off, right? The character became the Twinkie Avenger, right? His neural mace was painted to look like a Twinkie on a stick. He painted his fusion blocks to look like Twinkie boxes. Okay. He named his hover cycle FD&C Yellow Number 5. Sure. You know, just full on. Deep, Deep cuts, I love it. So just on a whim, and because, well, one, I didn't know any better at the time, and because this was Palladium, and it's the system that defines skill bloat, I'm like, I'm going to give you a skill. You get Twinkie lore at whatever percent. It's fair. Because why not? Yeah, why not? He actually figured out a way to use it in the game once. That's cool. (laughs) I respect that. (laughs) Well done, you crazy bastard. And... That, you know, the, reading that question brought that back to mind that like, and, you know, and this was the player putting together player knowledge with character knowledge of the thing he was trying to figure out and going, well, okay, this thing, there was an ad, a Twinkie ad in this comic book that would explain. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Did he reference like the one page Batman versus Joker who steals the box of Twinkies from the cart and just. I don't remember exactly what happened. Oh, and this may, there may not have actually been a Twinkie ad in the thing, but it had something to do. They were trying to figure out who Loki was. Yeah. Okay. So, but his, his explanation was, well, let me make a Twinkie lore role. And he, he made the role and he goes, well, there was a Twinkie ad in this Loki comic book that I found. That ain't right. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love oh, that it. character was. And then of course, you know, he was, completely into like this pseudo superhero thing to the awful distress of our cyber knight who we were routinely referred to as faithful sidekick. Mm. <laughs> mm. It sounds about right. But Oh, that, that character was so much fun. <laughs> no, I don't remember how he died, but I don't remember <laughs> he did spectacularly. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It, because yeah, I mean, well, he was a crazy. So yeah. <laughs> in fact, that may have been the one. He may have died in the night Bubba went crazy, at which point, again, I've told the story on the podcast before, but my party self-inflicted a TPK on itself. Mm. And if I remember right, I know the, that Twinkie's player was the first character that died, yeah. whether it was Twinkie that died or if it was Zinger, his cousin, the juicer. For those of you listening at home, I am now clutching the bridge of my nose in my hand. <laughs> okay. Okay. His character dies and he looks at the player whose insanity is what has started triggering all this mayhem and goes, okay, I'm now playing the voices in your head. Seems fair. (laughs) Which he did while simultaneously creating a new character. Yes. Who was Captain Marvel, except his version of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was the excuse for it being a player character. Mm-hmm. A, a useful character. He wanted to play Billy Batson. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> love it. So, See, yes. I love Rift so much as a concept. <laughs> so much as a concept. Yes, that was that was the the setting that I I saw and went. So this is what a role playing game is. Kitchen sink. Yeah. It's well, supposedly Robertson has publicly said he's open to a potential second edition and Symbieta has said he might not fight him on it. Who's Rob, which Robertson? Sean Owen Robertson. 
the no. guy who did Savage Riffs sure. and has also been brought into Palladium. I don't know what his official title at Palladium is, but he is now part of the Palladium team and is kind of the heir apparent, it yeah. would seem. Yeah. With you know, Kevin obviously getting up there, probably getting ready to retire. Yeah. Now, what you would do, because look, it, it, you clearly loved it. It, it. It's an amazing world, and there's so many of the Palladium games. But the system, and I've said before, I don't know that the system, by modern standard, it's a convoluted system. Absolutely. But the thing that held it back the most was its organization. Yes. Yes. I've said before, and you'll appreciate this, that the only person who has ever run a game of Palladium anything completely rules as written is Kevin, because he wrote it and he knows it. Everyone else is still looking for the damn reference in the books. Yes. Or trying to figure out how does the, how does the how does this interact with this? Yeah. And, and, and... I mean, it's a little bit of a packed up mashup of old school D&D and BRP, but... Yeah, and and it also comes to the point where, like, you go back to Heroes Unlimited, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and other strangeness, and it kind of worked on that level. You know, once you threw in ninjas and super spies, and they're like 50 different martial arts, you're just like, okay, is this really necessary? Even first edition, even the first, like, iterations of Robotech was doable you understand the mega damage thing all right i can kind of get that but just like just like everything of palladium every iteration every book that came out afterwards had to be bigger and badder than the one previous and after 10 books where the hell do you go Mm -hmm. you know like book number five makes everything in book one number one obsolete just why yeah well i've said you know it in some ways it is a system that defines a, the concept of power creep slash power spiral. Yeah, absolutely. Skill bloat. Didn't what even are they up to those. like four pages of just skills in a list? Yeah. You know, and, and again, rules is written. If you don't have the skill, you're not supposed to be able to make a check for it. Not at all. Well, so because I don't have carpentry, I can't swing a hammer. Yeah. I might be able to swing it well, but, mm. you know, yeah. I don't know. So there's, like I said, there, there, but there are rumors swirling that it might happen. Although I don't know. I just bought the Savage Rifts box because it was there when I was somewhere and I went, well, okay. <laughs> I was about to say Savage Rifts is pretty much as far as I, as far as I can tell, it's basically uh, a ripped second edition. It, it effectively is. I do know that I think the storyline is advanced three to five years ish from the palladium books. Yeah. Um, but I know everything lore wise had to be run through palladium before they were allowed to release it. Of course. I don't know. Like you said, it, it's savage worlds is a game though. For me, I, I really want to learn it, but I have a feeling and maybe you could have some experience. It feels like it'd be a lot easier to learn in person than online. Darren West, good buddy of mine, he will convert you to Savage Worlds in a heartbeat. You play one game with him. If you're able to get down to Gamer Nation Con in April, try to find whatever Savage Worlds game he is writing. Probably will could, probably will be Rifts. Might be Risk. Might be Robotech, actually, because I know that he's got Savage Worlds Robotech. Okay. Um, and since the theme of it is the 80s, that would, that would really fit. If you can get a Savage Worlds game in with Darren West, if if you don't become an immediate fan, you will still gain at least a very good understanding of how the game works. Mm-hmm. And you can decide for yourself whether or not it's something that you're like, I can grok this, or you're just like, mm, fun, but eh, the system isn't for me. 
I I have the core book. I've read most of it. But it's hard to grok it till you play it, right? Well, it feels like, and again, and this is, it feels like the tagline is Fast, Furious, Fun. It feels mm-hmm. like it may be a little more, I don't want to say slap happy, but like a little more punchy and hyper pulpy than what I usually want to play. I could see that. I could see that. You know, like, like the narrative dice system is rather unpredictable. Can be, can be, but you still have a pretty heavy handle to steer it with because it's narrative where savage worlds feels like the dice can ace out and throw you all sorts of stuff that no, now I can't do the thing I was doing. Yeah, that's actually some of the problem that I've had with narrative dice system and some other systems I've been playing. It's like it's once you do narrative dice, it's really hard to go back to pass fail. It's super hard. You, you just kind of look at it going, eh, that's limiting. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm playing a D&D spellcaster in one in my games, because if I cast a spell and the dice aren't with me, I usually at least get to get some result out of it. Mm-hmm. You know? Fair. Yeah, I... Well, see, like, the narrative dice, though, but you know what I mean, where it feels like, as a GM, you have a little more of a set of handlebars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and because it's so narrow, yes, you're occasionally going to get those rolls that, well, okay, I guess, but you get something else. Yeah. Yeah, you can find, <laughs> you can find even through failure, you can find some way forward. Right. Where I, again, just from reading it, Savage Worlds feels a little potentially... Well, crap. <laughs> but again, you know, narrative dice, I've said this many times, the system plays so much simpler and better than it reads. When you try and read it, you're like, what the, huh? When you play it, you're like, oh, okay, this works. <laughs> right, right. You know, I just, I'm trying to figure out how to tune it a little better, you know, and so thus I've been listening to you and Huli and trying to read all kinds of things, but something about that intentional obfuscation of the math seems to be working a little too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. I think we've kind of touched on pretty much everything that, that our patrons had to ask. Cool. Cool. Anything more you would like to add in, in anything we've talked about as far as Canon or Alt-U or... Just... And a piece of advice not to worry too much about sticking with what is a quote unquote canon. If that's what your players want and will enjoy, and that's what you enjoy, and you want to be kind of like the other stories that are happening in the main universe, go for it. Have a good time. Understand that you are probably within the majority of what the other games are doing anyway. But if you are curious to touch on some story points that are established canon and kind of see like the the Kobayashi Maru scenario of how would you handle this particular situation? Don't be afraid to dive in and have a good time. I mean, like I said, Filoni, uh, Favaro, and uh, Lucas are not going to kick down your door or say you're playing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Have a good time. All right. Well, I guess with that, anything you would like to plug, you know, other than your podcast, which you've touched on it you know i know you have this 404 project i don't know what else you might have going on <laughs> um couple, sure. i have a um, hat <laughs> nice um the uh the forge podcast did recently finally release the episode that 
Brett and I recorded with them a time ago um, that goes over our Mechasis setting where we finally got a chance to talk to that. Ha- finally got that to go on the air. And that was a fun time. That was a, that was a nice little remember. Oh yeah, we did have that conversation. Oh, cool. <laughs> that said, Oh yeah, that thing. So forge podcast, Mechasis podcast, uh, Mechasis, um, um, Mechasis uh, discussion. That was a good time. It also kind of got me with some, uh, cause we've been working on another project. Actually, no, we, we, we talked about it so we can, Anarchy in Dragon City, which mm-hmm. is our homage to the cyberpunk Shadowrun uh, type settings and adventures, and, and you know, greatly inspired by with our own unique twists upon them. We've been working on that a lot. Uh, we are hoping to get that out the door shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly could be by the end of the year. Shortly could be by Gamer Nation Con. Shortly could be later. But it's 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 really at the point where we're just kind of like trying to to smooth everything out. We're finishing up some playtesting and uh, and basically just trying to get everything written pretty and, and laid out. Yeah, Brett actually came and ran the adventure he ran at Gamer Nation Con last yes. year for yes. Steve and I and a few of our listeners. Uh, we had a blast with that. He and Kimber did a fun job writing up that setting. We, we've been having some blast with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole like Shadowrun and heist and things, that's fun. Yeah. Actually, that's a great way to just kind of describe it. It's like Shadowrun meets Blades in the Dark. So that's a that's a pretty good way to describe it. In the sense that Blades in the Dark is very heist oriented. It's also very, if you're playing like playing it straight in the kind of Blades in the Dark setting, they're in a city. They really can't go anywhere outside the city for various mm-hmm. reasons. And the Anarchy and Dragon City setting is very similar in that regard. You know, you're you're in this city, this 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 corporate dystopia run by, in this particular instance, a dragon. Mm-hmm. And outside the walls that the dragon is maintaining is wild space mm-hmm. and all kinds of monsters and other scary shit is out there sorry if I swore. <laughs> um but yeah no that's uh that's kind of it okay yeah no that it, it also feels grittier than than especially shadow of the beanstalk which i think is a really cool kind of post cyberpunk sci-fi setting but it doesn't sure. have the grit that i want in cyberpunk i could see that i could see that at least not on the surface it might be there but I think it, it's it's able to be there. It really depends on your it really depends on your 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 GM and mm-hmm. your, your group's playstyle. I also came to Cyberpunk via 2020. I'll tell story, baby. I will say that book for its era, it just so well like everything in that book just oozes the attitude that they want you to have it did. in that setting. It really did. And I will say for a game system designed in the late 80s, I think it was miles ahead of most other designs oh, yeah. that were its its peers. Hands down. Mike Pondsmith was an amazing game designer. Did some amazing things. At, 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 at. He, he really innovated a, a few things that have definitely trickled down over the years. And it's... I wish he had gotten his Mechton Zeta relaunch to go. Um, I know they kickstarted it, and I know it just fell apart. And hopefully, they they're able to pick it up and and redo it because I, I loved that game. It was a direct inspiration for Mechasis, and and the world that went along with the core, the Algol system, and that was that was a great setting idea. I loved it. So I I wish I hope someday he gets back to it and he's able to finish it off. So. Yeah, it well, I mean, look, you're talking about the trickle down. I mean, the skill system from that game is uh, pretty obvious if you look at that and then look at, say, 3.5 or 5e D&D that sure. they went, oh, hmm, yes, 
That's you know, still- he may have been inspired by something before that, but yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. All right. So all that being done, shall we play game of the week? Sure. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. Would you like to go first? Or do you want me to go first? No, I can go first. Um, my game of the week is the Transformers role-playing game. Ah. I have started up a Westmarch-style Transformers game with a bunch of my friends, where I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the Westmarch theme, but in case you're not, it's generally speaking the idea of the Game Master's like, I'm going to run a game on this day. Who can show up? If you show up, cool, you can play. It really somewhat forces the gm to run stories in like the 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 session you know it doesn't allow although you know it can but it doesn't typically uh, allow too much of like long-running arcs as far as like one game cliffhangers into another cliffhangers into another uh at least in the sense of like mid-story some of the themes from the story might be able to cliffhang but uh you know you show up and it's almost like a con mod You, you get four to five hours of good solid game a start a middle and an end And the Transformers setting uses this new Essence 20 system by Renegade Studios, where you are rolling a D20 and another die from D2 all the way up to D12, or even higher if you if you like get up shifts, because there are things that you can do to like, you know, increase the die you're rolling. But it's neat. Uh, It's a it's an interesting system. It is a pass fail system when it boils down to it. And, you know, sometimes it just kind of leaves a little a little bit lacking. It's a very interesting advancement system too. You're very real. You're somewhat rigidly structured in like, okay, level two, this gets up and you can raise this, one of these skills, level three, this, this attribute goes up and you can raise one of these skills. It's somewhat restrained as far as what your, your, uh, what your skills get better in. Um, so as I look at it, it's a little, it, it's fairly D and D like in that regard. I mean, it's not like, you know, your, 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 your combat ability is going to go up every few levels. It, it just does, you know, mm-hmm. you can't not like a free form system, like narrative dice where you could like, Oh man, I really need to get up my ranged heavy. So I'm going to dump a bunch of my next XP into doing that. You might not be able to raise up the equivalent skill for two levels in, in transformers, but it is a fun game. It is a fun system. It's need to be able to roll around as Autobots and, and, you know, fighting, uh, trying to figure out like what, nefarious plot the Decepticons are up to this week and trying to stop them. And it is definitely a system where you want to talk about like what is canon. That is not like a a philosophical question in Transformers. That is more like a little, okay, uh w- what's canon? Because you've got the G1 <laughs> cartoon, you've got Beast Wars, you've got Transformers Animated, Transformers Prime, Transformers Energon, the Bay Mat, the Bay Films, Bumblebee. You're like, what the hell is actually canon? <laughs> and it's you know it really kind of in the, the the core setting is very g1 ish generation one ish with some tweaks and some additions from other settings mostly stuff like you know bumblebee isn't a he's not a a vw bug he is it's more of the like the sports car camaro is kind of like the evergreen bumblebee at this point mm-hmm And I'm having fun with the idea of like the players right now are basically a lost Autobot colony on a different planet. And there's a space bridge there and there's some NPCs who are trying to reactivate the space bridge. Um, It's a general understanding that eventually the game will get to Earth in the not so distant future. But when the players do get there, they will definitely the, the players, not the characters, the players will definitely be like, oh, oh, 
oh, Phil's going this way with it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Because, <laughs> um, you know, they're not playing. They're like, none of the named Autobots are there. So the you know, one big thing is like, what happened to Optimus Prime? What happened to the Decepticon Vanguard that went after him? You know, what happened to them? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And they'll get to Earth and they're like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> but but that's my game of the week uh i do recommend it it's a lot of fun i'm having my i and my players are enjoying it and it is absolutely giving me inspirations for the transformers angle of mechasis that i am going to be running at gamer nation con in april <laughs> good time well on that note just to, to tangent a little bit for you to get to my game of the week um as of right now it looks like steve and i are going to try and make it down to gamer nation con fantastic um, Plans are in the works. Let's put it that way. We're still figuring out details. And sure. for those who are listening, by the time this goes live, we may get the official announcement, but it's... We should, according to Chris, the, the Kickstarter should go live literally any day now. Yes. So by the time anyone actually hears this, you may need to go to Kickstarter and search it. Quickly. Tentatively scheduled for tax weekend in April, like the 11th through the 15th or something that like that, I think. Right. That sounds about right. Dallas, Texas. Can't do it the week before because the week before is Easter weekend, so they can't do it that weekend. Uh, and they always try to do it the first. Gamer Nation Con is always the first full weekend in April that isn't Easter. Aha. Uh -huh. So, like, if if the Thursday is October, thir is not October, is March 31st, it's not going to be that weekend. If it's April 1st, it will be that weekend, as long as that's on a weekend that has Easter in it. So Makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Just wish that Texas was closer to Pennsylvania. No, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> well, you're even farther. So. It used to be the one of the first few weekends in March, but then they realized that like half what was happening was like for the I think of the first or second one, uh, a significant portion of the player base could not arrive due to snowfall. Um, it wasn't a huge amount, but there was definitely like two handfuls of people who were like, uh, "It's twelve inches of snow here, and our flight got canceled." Yeah, and they either showed up later, they couldn't show up at all. So they're like, "Let's move it a little bit later," and it seems to have worked. Let me sidetrack here, go back to my game of the week, and then we'll talk a little bit about Gamer Nation Con before we wrap Shoot. up. Shoot. All right. So my game of the week is a game, and I just found this. It's all of five bucks on drive through. Okay. Uh, it's a game called The Silver Road. Okay. It is, and in here, I'll, I'll link it for you in the green room. Here, hang on. All right. Okay. So it is an experimental, minimalist storytelling game for three to five players, written by John right. Hodgson, who's worked on The One Ring, Adventures in Middle Earth, Beowulf, the Terminator RPG, among other things. Illustrations by Mike Francina, I think is probably how that's pronounced. That looks right. Who's worked for Blizzard, worked on Magic the Gathering. A little 24-page book, a lot of, says a lot of AI art. By mm. the way, the pages that they show in the drive-thru listing look absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, they do. But it's saying, to play this, you need a pencil and paper. I'm guessing you get away with a pen. All of 1D6 and the book. Huh. And it's that's really... Just it says bring your own setting, although example adventure and, and two example characters are included. Mm -hmm. It just I mean, I don't know. It just the images looks like something I want to fiddle around with. And for five bucks. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I'm guessing this this Hodgson guy, based on those titles, probably has a cubicle seven connection. Because uh -huh. okay. I know the guy who did Beowulf used to be, I think, the art director for Cubicle Seven. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, it like I said, there aren't a lot of details on it, but the the images make me, you know, because they're like kind of decrepit 
Middle Earth, foggy, but not like overly dark. You know, just sort of that dreary, slightly spooky, but not over the top dark. Mm-hmm. I like it. I don't know why. All right, so that was my game of the week. But uh, let's let's go back to Gamer Nation kind of a little bit because I just wouldn't have been listening to in the last week or two you talking about your experience at Gamer Nation Con 2 as I don't listen to Old Order 66 episodes. Right. Now, I have only been to one convention thus far. Okay. Which, which was, we have a the local group called Pittsburgh Retro Gaming puts on what they call the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. Okay. Which they did, they, they, they got about half of a local convention center. And as a group... They're a little more into retro video games than tabletop games, but they also like tabletop games. Okay. So we had a tabletop section. A local game store brought their board game library that they have in store, which I posted pictures of it on a couple of discords. It's pretty healthy considering it's one game shop. And that's what I actually, I found out later. I knew it was what he had in the store. I didn't realize if you go to the store, you can just take the game to a table and play it. Yes. You know, not quite to the extent of what I saw in the in the video Chris posted for Dallas Games Marathon, but That's a I would say a third to half of that. Good. Which Good. is pretty impressive, like I said, for primarily one local game store going, here, I'll bring my stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there were probably 20 feet of shelf space all filled up with board games, maybe more than that, maybe 30, I don't know. All right. But there was that, you know, a bunch of tables, lots of tabletop stuff going on. Panels, had a huge room full of old retro arcade cabinets, pinball, consoles, everything from literally, like there was an actual Tron cabinet there. There was there was a lot of really cool stuff. There was a couple of real old pinball machines and all the, the cabinets and the pinballs set up free to play. Nice. nice. You know, they had, like I said, rows of tables of vintage console stuff. You know, vendors selling a lot of Nintendo, Super NES, PlayStation, you know, all the old whatever. Um, there were people there from the um, 501st Legion. There was the, and I don't know the name of them, but there was a Star Trek cosplay group there that had their bridge set up. Nice. There was a Halo cosplay group there. You know, they had some some cosplay panels. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little bit of everything, right? It was really fun, sure. kind of small, about, I think, total take door for two days i think they said was about 2300 oh nice which is not huge but not Mm. small Mm. so what because i do know this that gamer nation con happens in what is effectively a retail storefront or used to be sort of sort of the 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 retail the retail aspect of dallas games marathon was kind of minimal Mm -hmm. take your average Actually, how do I describe this? Um, if you've ever walked by one of those mall, uh, one of those strip malls that has had either like a dance studio or a small like workout, you know, kind of personal trainer workout type place, that's about the size of Dallas Games Marathon. I don't exactly know the square footage, but you know, it's it's not it's not like one of those small stores that you kind of go in and it's, and is much longer than it is wide. This mm-hmm. one's kind of like a square. So maybe like two or three of those typical mall store shops side by side. The retail part portion of Dallas Games Marathon takes up like the front right, took up the front right corner of it. So like half a wall and then like round the corner and maybe a little bit that way. Their big draw 
was providing gaming space and a massive library of games. And you paid basically a, a monthly subscription fee or monthly membership fee to be able to go in there at any time, at any, t- at, you know, at any hour up to like closing, which I think was like midnight and use their games, play their games, use their game space. They'll run magic tournaments there. They'll run, you know, back in the day, they ran various other like miniature war game tournaments. I'm sure they still do some like Warhammer stuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the retail is just sort of there as like a kind of a side hustle of like, oh yeah, we can offer this stuff too. But it never was their big thing. They never had like a huge catalog, a catalog of games to buy. They had some niche ones and they had some like good ones that they knew would, would continually sell or stuff that they were trying out. But their big draw was their membership fees, you know, and their, 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 their memberships. Obviously, that kind of format doesn't survive a pandemic where everyone needs to be isolated for practically an entire year. So they closed down and there, the idea was is that they would not be back. So that's why Chris and Dave had to, and Krista, had to go try to find a new venue. And they did. They found this small convention center that was new in the Plano area, I believe. I was there for all of four hours this past year through an accident of scheduling. But it was great. It was wonderful. But it wiped them out because it was a convention center. And even a small convention center can wipe out a, a budget. So that's why they're going to ha- they have to go back to a Kickstarter because they used to do a Kickstarter to get the original Gamer Nation cons up and running. And then they finally had money in the bank and that they, they were able to fund like, okay, we don't have to do this anymore. We can actually like just do it and people can pay at the door or leading up to it. And it's all well and fine. But now because of that one year, they were wiped out. So like, okay, now we have to go back to, um, we have to go back to kickstarting it for probably, I imagine the next few years while they rebuild up their, their equity, basically. Mm-hmm. It is a wonderful con. I, I cannot, uh, I cannot sing it enough praises. Uh, it is. I have been to the the Holy Land of uh, of uh, Gen Con. I have been to PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. I have been to Origins Game Expo in Columbus, Ohio, and I have I have had more fun and more fulfilling gaming at the at the time 150 person Gamer Nation Con in Texas than I did at any of those other conventions. I had fun at those conventions, I did. But my gaming experience was a lot more enjoyable in Dallas because they really do a really good job of making you feel like it's you gaming with 150 of your best friends. It is a wonderful community. And with the, the new Dallas Games Marathon space, they are actually able to increase the number of attendees by 50 people, which is something I always felt that they needed to be able to do anyway. Can't have a con in a community grow if you don't have any place to grow. So hopefully people will be able to make, I know that I've got a small contingent of folks from my neck of the woods that we're all like, oh no, we're going, we're going, we're absolutely going. And we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, I I think just because of the way things work out, Steve and I may be driving. Mm -hmm. We're probably just going to rent something and, drive it because the more I thought about it, if I rent something and it breaks down, it's someone else's problem. True. true. <laughs> but it, it's right. We're in that sweet spot where if I pay to rent a vehicle and I pay for fuel, it's about the same price as a plane ticket. If two of us do that. And part of me says a road trip seems like fun. Okay. All right. I, I, I will, I will give you that. I will give you that. 
you know, like the cost is about the same, then I don't have to trust my beloved books to an airplane <laughs> and baggage handlers. <laughs> but I'm also driving, what, eight, nine hours closer to Texas than you are. True. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're on the other side of Philadelphia. I mean, sorry, you're the other side of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, I know I have many friends who do the drive from Boston region down to Pittsburgh re region for the SCA for Penzik. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's like a, a 10, 12, 14 hour drive, depending on how you go and how the traffic is at the time. So the thought of driving to Texas from here is like, oh, just put me on a plane. <laughs> the time to money coefficient is is more worth it for me to get on a damn plane. Well, see, I happen to one. I live completely across the city from where the airport is. Yeah, sure, sure. So sure. it it takes me an hour at least to get to the airport. Ugh, gross. I checked in flights. Now there's a, a a smaller regional airport that does have flights to Dallas. That's thirty minutes the other direction. Okay. However, flights from there to Dallas cost approximately $300 more. <laughs> Damn it. So, uh, yeah, it, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping to rustle up enough interest in, in the greater gamer nation to like, well, let's make a caravan. Sure. You know, and pick sure. up people along the way. Because like from looking at Google Maps, like we go through like Cincinnati on down through. And so it's like. But depending on how we could swing through Columbus and then down, I don't, mm. I'd have to look at the maps, but yeah, yeah, I think that would be fun. Like a little caravan and all just pull in and we're here <laughs> show up midnight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 18 hours. Yeah. That's no fun. That's no fun. But, uh, so yeah, gamer nation con sounds like a hell of a good time. It'll be great. Yep. Like I said, by the time anyone actually hears this, the Kickstarter may well be actively online. Possibly over. Who knows? Well, I doubt he'd run it that short because we're only we're recording like a week and a half ahead of when this will air. Oh yeah, no, no. I think he said it was be like at least a three week, possibly a four week Kickstarter. So yeah, I'll link it in the show notes if it is live at the time of me uploading. Sure. Or if I got a preview address. But with that, I think um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Check out the Order sixty six podcast. There's lots and lots of great old stuff to go back and check out. Check out the stuff from Studio 404. I already own most of it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, check us out. You know, we've got the Discord server. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Find us uh, Discord, Facebook. There's a Twitter account that I usually only post episode releases because I'm a very bad Twitterer. Um, yeah. We have the Patreon if you'd like to help us out a little bit. I think that's most of the stuff. Um, so good. with that, I think... Uh, just remind everyone to uh, be kind to each other and get out there and play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.
All right. Let me hit you with this this other uh, question we got. Okay. Cool. And I think. Okay, where is it? Let me find it here. Because he wrote up this big thing. Where did okay. he put it? Or did he delete it? <laughs> did he delete it? If he deleted it, it's going to be a really quick segment. Yeah, well, no. Because there was something about your Canon Canon, and it was a question about... Either that or I just imagined it. <laughs> it was something about what to do when the cannon of a certain gun cannon conflicts with your head cannon and how do you res, res yeah. how do you resolve your head cannon with the cannon cannon about the cannon but i can't find where he posted it i'm gonna need a diagram for that question <laughs> but uh 